everyone and welcome to the year what's the podcast all about today that gives you just enough information to effectively be that guy at the party causing all your friends to question okay who invited you like seriously why are you here I'm your host, Michael Montalvo, and for the next few minutes, we will swim through the river of time to find out what makes it a truly unique. On this episode, we examine the events that occurred October 28th. Well, it's time for our Halloween episode extravaganza, where we look at the scariest story I could find for the year, which is pretty difficult considering it's 2020. Dateline, 2020, please don't sue me, that was a joke. To find a scary topic, join me on this time travel boat and go into the Tunnel of Pure Imagination, where we will go way back in time to the past and DeLorean, the world as we know it. The phone booth rings for us, and we can see a TARDIS of a light as we arrive in the early 20th century, other time machine reference. So in these troubling times we face, sit back, Grab a drink as long as you are of the appropriate age, and listen to the story of the Volstead Act. Please drink responsibly. To talk about the act, we must first talk about the temperance movement. These people were a group that called for moderation and complete abstinence from the devil's water, that is, intoxicating liquor. This actually predates the Volstead Act by about a hundred years. For those of us who don't want to math it up right now, this puts the movement around 1800. Surprisingly, it spread around pretty fast, just like that one time Becky and Heather wore the same dress to prom. Can you imagine? And by 1833, there were 6,000 local societies all over the USA. I'm going to do a time jump now. The first international temperance movement began in 1851, the Order of the Good Templars in Utica, New York, which, as the name suggests, spread worldwide. The Christians' Temperance Union of Cleveland, Ohio, in 1874 came shortly after and employed educational, social, and political members to promote legislation, and then in 1883 we saw the World Women's Christian Temperance Union. The Anti-Saloon League was formed in 1893 by Protestants who viewed drinking as corrupt and ungodly, and in 1909 a World Prohibition Conference was set up in London that birthed the International Prohibition Confederation. Now, as you might expect, all of this led to prohibition in the United States as well as other countries, and prohibition is not a new idea. The Aztecs, the ancient Chinese, feudal Japan, and many more have all tried their hand at it, but only a few, such as Certain Muslim countries have maintained it and continued it to this day. To summarize, religious revivalism called for a decrease in abstinence in alcohol consumption. Now we have a bit of the backstory, but that's not all there is. By the 20th century, the temperance movement was a common sight, and many women were key members. The reason for this was that alcohol was seen as a destructive force for families, and for marriage. Because of this, the suffrage movement was a great supporter of prohibition. At the time, women had few to no property or legal rights. Husbands would work and then go spend their money on drinks and then come home drunk and mistreat their families. Going into the new century, 
came new attacks, and the Anti-Saloon League began to target the sales of liquor. What's interesting, but also kind of makes sense, is that it's still kind of enforced today. Along with religious leaders, factory owners also supported this movement due to the increased industrial production and extended work hours. And again, I get this. You don't want your workers showing up drunk. By 1917, the world was at war, and in order to save grain for food, President Woodrow Wilson called for temporary wartime prohibition, and Congress, running with this, later that year, submitted for the approval of the Midnight Society, the 18th Amendment. So what is the 18th Amendment? The 18th Amendment states that after one year from the ratification of this article, the manufacture, sale, or transportation of intoxicating liquors within the importation thereof into or the exportation thereof from the United States and all territory subject to the jurisdiction thereof for beverage purposes is hereby prohibited. What that meant was that there would be no more alcohol. Over the next 11 months, the amendment received three-quarter support from the states, which was enough to get it ratified on January 16, 1919. So what the heck is this episode about? The Volstead Act, or the National Prohibition Act, was named for Minnesota Republican Andrew Volstead, who introduced it as a way to enforce the 18th Amendment. But here's the thing. Woodrow Wilson said no and vetoed the act. The year was 1919, and on this day, October 28th, Congress overrode Woodrow Wilson's presidential veto of the Volstead Act. That's pretty bad, right? So what does the Volstead Act actually say? No person shall manufacture, sell, barter, transport, import, export, deliver, furnish, or possess any intoxicating liquor except as authorized by this act. Here's a bit of fun trivia for you. The 18th Amendment is 111 words long, barely three paragraphs. It was brief and very general in the way it spoke about things, and so we needed a way to be more specific in order to regulate the process that would soon take over the country. The solution was the Volstead Act with its 25 pages. Surprisingly, it did not prohibit alcohol the way you might think it did. The New York Times read and interpreted the laws for its readers, and according to alcoholproblemsandsolutions.org, people were allowed to legally drink liquor in your own home or in the home of a friend when you are a guest, buy intoxicating liquor on a bona fide medical prescription of a doctor, you could buy a pint every 10 days, Consider any place you live permanently as your home, and if you have more than one home, you may keep a stock of liquor in each. Keep liquor in any storage area if it's for the exclusive use of your family or guests. Get a permit to move liquor when you change your residence. Manufacture, sell, or transport liquor for non-beverage or sacramental purposes provided you obtain a government permit. It basically prohibited consuming alcohol anywhere but your home, while also prohibiting the gifting of such liquor, promoting it, and obviously manufacturing it. Because of its wording, it was perceived to be very confusing, but it was still enforced. I have a friend who is a brewer for a local beer company, and 
he is a bit more knowledgeable on this aspect of it all. So if there's any interest, I'll try and set up an interview with him where we can talk all about Prohibition and its effects. Prohibition officially went into effect January 20th, 1920 and gave birth to bootleggers, speakeasies, the mob, I guess, corruption, and NASCAR. The St. Valentine's Day Massacre, which occurred during this time, will need an episode all of its own. This would all last throughout the 20s, with, surprisingly, the IRS assigned to enforce it. But Prohibition would not last long for the United States. In 1932, while dealing with the massive job loss of the Great Depression, the prospect of legalizing the liquor industry to create jobs had an immense appeal. And realizing this, Franklin D. Roosevelt ran for president on the platform that he would repeal Prohibition, leading to an easy victory. By February 1933, the resolution proposing a 21st Amendment, repealing the 18th, was made, and by December of that year, Utah provided the final vote needed for ratification. But the story doesn't end there. Several states actually continued to prohibit alcohol even after Prohibition's end, all the way up to 1966. That's going to do it for us today. If you like this podcast and want to hear more, give us a rate and a review. That helps me out and helps steer this in a direction that is hopefully good for all. If you're watching this on YouTube, you can find the Year Was audio version on your podcast app of choice. You can find me on social media and at YouTube at the Apple Cider Club. And as always, I want to thank the Tim Cards Band for our musical theme. And thank you for listening. We'll see you next time. Wow.